My four-year-old Keegan and my two-year-old Annie refuse to any longer go by the names Keegan and Annie. Keegan has decided he is Super Anakin Dash. Super because all superheroes have super in the name. Anakin from Skywalker, Star Wars, and Dash, the little boy in The Incredibles who can run really fast. Annie is Super Padme Violet. Again, the Padme from Star Wars, and Violet is the girl who can put force fields around things and um, has power of invisibility. They, this is a game we play every single day. They put on their capes, they put on their masks, they put on their incredible shirts, they don their um, lightsabers, and they come over and they say, Mama, Mama, what happened? And I say, Thud, Thud, Thud. Goliath is attacking the Israelites, go save them. And they go and run to my room and strike down Goliath. Mama, Mama, what happened next? The Joker is invading the Batcave. Go save Batman. And they go and they save Batman. Or Roman soldiers are storming Mossad. And they go and they again save the Israelites. And here's what I think. They have tapped into something that we all think about ourselves. We all want to be superheroes. We all want to be part of something great, something bigger than ourselves, something that is reaching out and saving the people who need to be saved. And that is exactly what our message today is about. Last week, Jason summed up the, um, basically the message of Romans. What was Paul writing? And it was Paul's call to unity to overcome your denominational differences, your political differences, your racial differences, your preference differences, all of these things to be one in Christ to glorify God. And today, in our final week of Romans, we are going to look at why. We're going to look at the reason for Romans. Why on earth did Paul write this letter to a group of people, to a, a group of local house churches, whom he had never met. A, a group that he didn't plant this church. He didn't know most of them. So why did he sit down one day and write this very long theological treatise to this group of people? And here's the thing. Paul was an entrepreneur. He has this great vision, this great idea and he's writing to a group of people, the venture capitalists, and he's saying, I need your help. He's all of Romans is laying out for us his beliefs, his ideas, what, is he, what he's about. It's drawing together a group of people, and then it's saying, come join me. Come be a part of this. I need your finances, I need your prayers, I need traveling companions, I need translators, come join me. That, well now you've heard it, so I guess you can go home. That, that's, a, that's the message in essence. This is Paul's call to missions. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. 
I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. He's saying you guys treat each other with love and respect and integrity. You are, you're being filled with knowledge. You are constantly seeking God, seeking to know him better. You are discerning his will. You are making wise decisions and you are able to instruct each, each other. This word able is more like powerful, effective, and the instruct is more like admonishing, training up. It's this idea that we are all coming together to run a marathon and we are all able to help each other through this. To say, Sheila, your stride's a little short there. Try lengthening it. Oh, and then Sheila can go to Jason and say, your breathing is a little bit off. Try finding a better rhythm. And Jason can come to me and say something else about running to make me a better runner. I've run out of things here. <laughs> and we all come alongside of each other to push each other, to make each other better. And he says, this is what you guys are about. You guys are doing this. He's, we have been spending weeks now with all these hard things of giving up our rights, of giving up our desires, of giving up our ambitions, of what it means to live the Christian life. And it's hard and it's difficult. But here's the thing. You guys are exactly like this Roman church. You are full of goodness. You love each other. We love each other. We are, we are seeking God and making wise decisions. We are able to instruct each other. Paul is filled with love for these people, and he, never know, he doesn't even really know them. And he says, you guys are poised to do something great. And I think the same is true about redemption. This is a body of believers who truly love one another, who's, who do what it takes. And I think Paul would say to us, you guys are poised to do something awesome. So, if they're so awesome, why did Paul just spend all of this time writing these things? Verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul had a special calling at a time when most of Christianity was still being spread among the Jews with some small exceptions here and there. Jesus came to Paul and gave him a vision to go out and reach the Gentiles, to bring in the nations, to make them a part of this thing, to go and share what Christ is doing with the Gentiles, bring them to God and nurture them. And so Paul, with his priestly duty to the Gentiles, says to the Roman churches who are made up mostly of Gentiles, I am writing to you to help nurture you, to help get you ready for this great thing, to help get you together and prepare you so that you can join me on mission, so that you can be part of this vision. And what is Paul's vision then? The language that he uses, and if you really look throughout Romans, his, the, where he pulls the quotes from the Old Testament, you can really see it's this whole grand vision that God has been laying out for us since day one. And we can really see it encapsulated in Isaiah chapter 66. 
It's the very end of this great prophetic vision of God's glory, of God, how God is going to redeem his people and bring glory to himself. Beginning in verse 18, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to all the nations that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship me, declares the Lord. This is his grand vision, that all nations will come before the Lord. This is the work. He started it with Israel, and he said, remember what Jason said, I will make you a priesthood among the nations. That means I, I'm going to make you a light. You guys are going to take me to the nations and bring the nations in as an offering, not as an offering of harvest or grain, but an offering of people to glorify my name. And he fulfills it ultimately in Christ, in Christ's ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. And now he continues it in the body of Christ. And this is our work, to bring this harvest of people as an offering to God. Imagine the glory of all nations, of all languages, of all cultures, the best of every people group coming to praise God in so many forms, in, in the art of, of Guatemalan tapestries and Chinese vases, in the music of African polyrhythmic music and jazz and salsa and klezmer and, just, and classical and every music imaginable of this feast laid out with French brie and Indian samosas and Mexican enchiladas. And I know you're all now looking on Yelp where you're going to have lunch today. <laughs> this is the amazingness of all of the nations coming to glorify God, to bring their best and sing to him and dance before him. This is Paul's vision, the people of the world. And this is what he calls us to. This is what he's saying to the Romans. You guys, this is what we are about. Because the Romans had one thing that was tripping them up. And to be honest, it's the same thing that seems to plague the Christian church for 2,000 years, and that's unity. At their time, it was the Gentiles and the Jews who were not really accepting each other who were at odds, these believers who couldn't seem to get over that thing to worship God together. And Paul is saying this unity is so important because that's what God's vision is. And if you're going to go out on missions, and if you're going to join me and continue to bring people to God, then you have to be one. And this is the same thing for us. Unity is so important. Overcoming all of our differences is so important because we have way more in common and we have a bigger mission. We must be one so that we can go out and bring others in. This is Paul's vision, and he got it straight out of the Bible. 
and he gives it to the Romans, and he gives it to us. And in fact, he says, this is exactly what, I, ha, what I've seen happen. This is what God has been doing. Back in Romans chapter 15, verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Paul is boasting about what he's done. Which, for years, I had an issue with Paul because I would sit there and read this and go, he just sounds really prideful. He's just always talking about all these things he's done for God. Isn't that wrong? Are we allowed to do that? There is a fly really bugging me. Are, Are we allowed to do that? But here's the thing. Notice what he is boasting about, verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He's not boasting in his own reputation or what he's accomplished. He is boasting in what God has done. And that is really about glorifying God. It's not just saying, wow, God, you're amazing. It's going out and telling everybody you know, God is amazing. You would not believe what I've seen him do. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, you guys, I've seen this firsthand, this whole bringing in of the nations. I am part of this. I am watching God do this in our lives, in our empire. People are coming from all people groups to worship him. That's what he's boasting about. God, what God is doing. And he's saying, come join me. You can be a part of this. You can participate. You can do something great. Your life can be about so much more than than just keeping up with the Joneses. It can be about so much more than, than even the great vacations and even great promotions at work. It can be about what God is doing internationally across the whole world. Paul has built the church from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, he doesn't mean that every single person in the whole eastern area, in in Israel and present-day Syria and Lebanon and Turkey and Greece, he doesn't mean that everybody there is heard. He, He had a very strategic plan. He would go into big cities or port cities, and he would establish a church there, and he would nurture the leadership and train them up, and then he would hand them off, and he would move on to the next city. And he would preach the gospel and establish a church and nurture it and train the leadership. And he continued to do this from city to city to city. And he would write letters and continue to be involved in their lives, especially with the leadership. But he was building churches that would then go out and reproduce into other churches and reproduce into other churches and reproduce into other churches and just keep bringing in and bringing in and bringing in more people. And and this guy, this amazing guy, has pretty much established the church in the East. And so what do you do now? Do you retire? Do you rest on your laurels? 
Do you go take a vacation at the beach? Not Paul. I might. But Paul, no. He says, verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition, my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, and again here we have a quote from Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul is saying, I got to go west. I got to keep going. My ambition. We give up our own ambitions, our own desires, and we take on something that is so much bigger than ourselves, God's ambition. Paul is such a part of this that he calls God's vision his own. He's adopted it. This is my ambition. It's to see Christ spread everywhere. That's what he wants to be about. And he's going to do it in whatever means he can. He wants to just jump on board. He says, God, use me. God, take me. I will do what it takes to make your name known. And my question for us is redemption. Do we have that same attitude? Are we willing to do what it takes to be a part of this, no matter what that means? I love this church. I, every time I think about this church and talk about this church, my eyes well up, I get all weepy and, and silly because I just, I look out and I love the people here. It's, it's an amazing body. It's an amazing group of people who truly love each other, who truly are seeking to know God, who are truly giving up of themselves and their time and their money to serve God here and in Preston Trace and in Guatemala and in their communities. We have one family who alone is, a, is the reason that we have six other families they brought in. And then those six other families are going out and inviting more people. It's an amazing church. And I have just kind of sort of said to God, I just want to be a part of it and I will do whatever to just be a part of redemption because I love what you're doing in this church. And my dream for redemption is that we as a body do the same thing. That we say, God, we just want redemption to be a part of your plan, a part of your vision and whatever you're doing in Frisco and Little Elm and whatever you are doing in Guatemala and whatever you are doing in the world. We just want to be a part of that whatever that means. We are going to give up of ourselves and give up our own desires and our own ambitions and we're going to take on your ambition and your desire. Paul never made it to Spain. And in fact, the only way he made it to Rome was in chains where he was then killed as a martyr. And I don't know, maybe Paul was disappointed that he didn't get to go to Spain, that he didn't get to accomplish this great vision that he had for taking Christ further and further and further. But God had something else in mind for Paul. God had another vision for Paul. We need to have big, huge visions for God because we have a big, huge God who has a big, grand vision. But we also need to remember that it's God's vision, not ours. 
What are we willing to give up for his vision? Are we willing to just say, I will do whatever it takes? I was watching Shark Tank the other day about the entrepreneurs and the venture capitalists and all this stuff. And every once in a while, you have some business person who comes on and says, here's what I'm doing. Here's my vision for the company. Here's what I need. And you have this group of venture capitalists fighting over themselves, stumbling to get on board. I will give you money. I will give you time. I want to be a part of your company. That's where we need to be. We will do whatever it takes to be a part of God's vision. It's a great group here. And if we ever get to the point where we're just comfortable with each other, where we're just comfortable coming in and fellowshipping and seeing all these wonderful people and having this great time Sunday morning and then leaving and that's it, then we've lost God's vision. And that will be the challenge for us as we move forward is to keep that vision in front of us, is to always be willing to do whatever it takes for God, for his vision. A couple weeks ago, Jason shared the story of a missionary named Alan Gardner, who heard of this people group, um, the, a people group um, whom Darwin termed as basically not the lowest form of human life. And he said, I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to preach the gospel. And he created a mission agency, and he went. And he died on that mission trip. And that people group did not come to know the Lord in that trip. And a group of people went to that people group, the Yagan people, after Alan Gardner. And they were killed by the Yagan people. And then after that, one boy, a 17-year-old boy, went by himself to the Yagan people. And they were so impressed by his vulnerability and by his forgiveness that they came to know the Lord. And in fact, a few weeks after that, a ship was sinking off the coast, and they risked their lives to save that ship instead of pillage it as they would have formally done because they loved the Lord. And... The amazing thing to me is not just that God continued Alan's vision, even though Alan himself didn't get to fulfill it. But Alan wrote in his journal when he was starving to death on the shores of, of the land by the Yagan people, he said, this, this mission agency needs to be bigger than this people group. It needs to reach all of South America. And years later, it became the South American Mission Society. That society still exists today, but they have changed their name to the Society of Anglican Missionaries and Senders because now it's worldwide, and it is not just in South American. Alan had a huge vision to reach a people group who were completely hostile to God. His vision exceeded his life. He was not able to accomplish it, but God took that and did immeasurably more than even Alan could imagine. We have a big God, and we have big dreams for our big God. And we just are so excited to get to be a part of it. And my question to you is when we say those words at the end of the service, go forth in the name of Christ, what does that mean to you? 
How do you go forth into your communities, into your workplaces, into your families, into the world? How do you use your finances? How do you use your vacations? How do you use your time? What are you doing for God's great big vision? What is your big vision for God? In Romans 12, 1 through 2, we started off this whole thing talking about how our sacrifice to God is our bodies, our thoughts, our desires, our ambitions, everything about us. Paul here has extended it in saying, your offering to God is not just yourself, it's other people. And this is our job. This is Paul's call to mission. Will we join him? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much that you are doing a great, a great huge work in this world to bring all people groups to you. And we pray that you will give us the courage and the ability to say whatever you want, God. We are your instruments. Here I am, send me. Whatever that means, however that looks, send me. In your son's name, amen.